Church, how we doing this morning? Man, it's good to have you with us. And for those joining online today, we're in a series called Preaching to the Choir. And if you've not been at Thrive long, every summer we take time to carve out time to look at our four major values as a church. Why? Because values drive behaviors, right? And so the first week we looked at multiplication, and you had Pastor Drew Delgado preach to you. Why? Because we are planting him in the city of Richmond. Uh, We are multiplying, right? We're putting our money where our mouth is. Uh, Last week I talked to you about the value of mission, about how we have to live our own mission 24-7, reaching those who are far from God, and that's the mission of the church. And today I want to talk to you about a value that is very dear to my heart called maturity. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Well, I'm not sure if you have seen, or maybe you could go YouTube this later, but how skyscrapers are actually torn down. Uh, they don't bring in big wrecking balls and knock them down and do all that. Everything is so close together. And you would wonder, well, how would they do this? Well, it takes uh, months and even some take years. And what they do is they go inside strategically and they begin to find the structural points And they weaken all the structural points from the inside to the point where they can then implode the building and it goes straight down, one little tiny pile, and they can clean it all up. It's amazing if you've never seen that happen before. And you wouldn't even know that a skyscraper is actually having that happen to it uh, unless you had inside information uh, because they go inside and do all that. They start from the inside out and they weaken the structure and deteriorate it so it can fall quicker. And today, as we talk about the value of maturity today, I don't tell you about that, I also want to show you how as believers, that same thing can happen to us when it comes to our growth and our development as Christ followers, how we can deteriorate on the inside. As a matter of fact, what I want to look at today is a case study of some of Jesus' disciples and how that could have happened to one guy and it did happen to another guy. The first guy I want to talk to you about today is Peter. And in Matthew 16, what happens, and I kind of spoke on this uh, the previous verses several weeks ago, is that Jesus takes his disciples in Matthew 16 away from the crowd. So they get away from everybody wanting miracles and healing and teachings, and he carries them 25 miles northeast to Caesarea Philippi. Now, why does that matter? Because that's a pagan hotbed. That's like Jesus taking his disciples to Vegas for the evening, right? Like, like, like walking down the strip of Vegas, seriously. Uh, because there, there were idols on each side of the road leading up to the temple of Pan, the earth god. And as we're walking this path, Jesus is having this, this, this conversation with the disciples. He says, so like, just tell me, like, who do people say that I am? Like, like what have you heard? And they're like, oh, man, well, some people are saying, like, like, you're Elijah. Come back, meaning that you're a prophet. And some say you're this, and some say you're that, and it's all good teacher. Good. And then he finally says, okay, that, that's great that culture and the people around you are saying this, but who do you say that I am? And of course, the first piece, person that speaks up is Peter. Peter always speaks first, right? He's the person that wants to you know, take back his word sometimes. But this time, Peter was right. Peter looks at Jesus and says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And then Jesus says something to Peter that is so profound. He has this weird conversation with him that a lot of people take totally out of context. And the conversation, the gist of it was this. Peter, you're going to have authority. 
you're going to have authority in the early church. And Peter had no idea that there was going to be a church. He had no idea that there would be even a death, burial, and resurrection. The disciples didn't know any of that. They thought Jesus was a political Messiah who's going to rule and reign in Israel and take down Rome. But Jesus says to Peter, he says, I'm going to give you some keys. And what he's talking about there was the Old Testament Jewish Torah, how Jews were bound to that and Gentiles couldn't be saved. Jesus had a much deeper thought of that. But he encouraged Peter. He literally said, Peter, you're going to drive the car of the early church. You're going to be a great leader. And that's a very encouraging conversation, right? But then Jesus goes on, since Peter said that, to tell his disciples, okay, let me tell you on the inside secret, the Son of Man, who he referred to himself, will be betrayed to the hands of sinners. He'll be killed. And as he's telling them what's going to happen, Peter then speaks up. Remember I told you he just speaks up all the time? He just, ah, trying to get words back. He says, this will never happen to you, Jesus, never. I will come in, I will say, like, no, you will never die. But why? Because he thought he would be a political Messiah. And look what Jesus says to Peter in front of the rest of the disciples in Matthew 16, 23. It says this, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. I mean, could you imagine, like, on the heels of being told all this really great stuff, and you're like, yeah, hey, disciples, keys. I'm going to get some keys. I'm going to be a leader. And then Jesus looks at you and says, get behind me, Satan. Now, at that point, I don't know if they thought that maybe Jesus was alluding to, like, Satan was influencing Peter. I don't know what they thought or felt. But can I tell you what I would have thought or felt? I would have felt embarrassed and humiliated that my leader called me Satan, confronted me, corrected me, and said, you're seeing things from a human perspective, not from God's perspective. It's like, man, you got it all wrong, Peter. You are absolutely correct, wrong in every, every aspect that you can imagine. And that's what he said to Peter. And I want to talk to you today about this because there's many times that we look at Jesus and we don't understand biblical Jesus. We don't understand that Jesus wasn't, again, a guy riding around on a unicorn throwing out marshmallows saying, we should just love everybody. It's just all love. Do what you want to do. Be happy. That's not biblical Jesus, right? If you follow that Jesus, that's not biblical Jesus. Biblical Jesus wanted to take his disciples and grow them. He wanted to mature them. And can I tell you, biblical Jesus in our day and time has not changed at all. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he wants to challenge us to grow and to mature in our faith. And I want to speak to you about maturity because at Thrive, maturity really matters for us. And before I jump into that, let me give some disclaimers about maturity. Maturity is not just Bible knowledge. Now, should you have Bible knowledge? Yes, you should grow. Scripture reading, memorization, and understanding is a task of a disciple or a follower of Jesus, right? But that doesn't dictate maturity. Satan knows the Bible. Being mature is not how old you are. I don't know about you, but I've seen people with gray hair who act like babies, who've never matured emotionally. They don't get their way. They yell, scream, argue, cuss. I spoke last week, if you were here, about situations that I was in with men who led the church who should have been way beyond that type of emotional immaturity. Maturity is not all of those things. That, yeah, you can be old and be mature as well. Maturity is action, and it's being a disciple, living in action. But I want to speak to you today about something that will help you mature. 
because it's, it's something that we don't usually look at that could be a catalyst for your growth. As a matter of fact, I, I'm going to tell you personally, this is why I'm preaching on it, I believe it's the number one way to speed up growth as a follower of Jesus. It's the hardest way, but it's the number one way. And it's how confrontation, correction, and constructive criticism plays into the part of maturity and maturing as a follower of Jesus. And so if you have your notes handy, write this down because this is key for us today. And it's this, confrontation will lead to elevation or deterioration. Confrontation will lead to elevation or deterioration. And so what happened is Jesus always employed this aspect of confrontation when dealing with his disciples or dealing with the Pharisees. Jesus was very confrontational with the way that he handled things. He was very straightforward and very upfront. He literally looked at Peter and said, you're dead wrong, dude. You're, you're off in front of the rest of the disciples. Called them out and confronted them. And any time that you and I have somebody who comes to our, in our life who corrects us, it's important how we respond. I, I want to say this to you. Not everybody is equal in their criticism of you, though. Find people who love you, who care about you, who are trusted spiritual friends, family, and mentors in your life. And it's when you find those people in your life that really love you that much to say it to you, then you've got to trust them. But if you do not have the right response, you're going to be just capped the rest of your life. So let me say this. There's two ways you're going to respond that will either lead to elevation or deterioration. Humility helps you elevate in your life. A humble response to constructive criticism, confrontation, or correction. Somebody who is humble may not like the fact they're being corrected. I only know one person on planet Earth who likes being corrected. That's Mark Thomas at the Richmond campus. I mean, he likes, he's like, tell me what I'm doing wrong, man. Come on, come on, tell me. I'm like, oh, you're, you're fine, dude. That's great. No, no, no I want to know. Like, he's just like, yeah. Like, I've never met anybody like that, right? That's not normal. So humility doesn't mean you go around like Mark Thomas saying, hey, look, just tell me everything's bad about me. Like, you may actually respond a little defensive at first and do that, but somebody who is truly humble processes, they ponder, they come back to that point and say, thank you for telling me that. I needed that, and here's what I'm going to do with it. You're absolutely right. And that's humility that will lead to elevation. But pridefulness, defensiveness will lead to deterioration. And all of us have pride in us. But pride is the number one root sin in our life that will destroy us. Just like the skyscraper gets dismantled from the inside, then it implodes. If we continually let pride, anger, defensiveness, and bitterness drive that we're connect, are corrected, you're going to eventually implode. You'll be a shell of yourself when you're older. I see many people like that as they get older. They're just a shell because they're so angry and defensive, and nobody will tell me what to do. I am my own person. Nobody corrects me. And they get resentful for that. And what that will do is that will lead to deterioration. You know what else that it, it, it does too? This is key. This is important. The Bible says this. The half-brother of, of, of Jesus, James, wrote this. He said it's the most impactful scripture when it comes to your growth. He says, God opposes the proud. Let's pause for a second. How many of you today would say, I want God to be my enemy? Would anybody say, I want God to oppose me at every stop of my life? 
I want God to be against me. How many of us would say that? Nobody. Nobody. But how many of us have God opposing us? That's my question. I wonder. Because of our pride. Because of our defensiveness. Because no one will tell us what to do with our life. How dare you correct me or confront me? You're attacking me. And anytime we let pride drive us, can I tell you, God begins to oppose you. It means he can do nothing with you from this point forward. He cannot help you. That's what I've been telling my son lately, is that, son, I want to help, but there's a point in time, if you won't take my advice, I can't help you. There's like nothing I can do for you. you you'll begin to, to chart your own path. So it says, James says, God opposes the proud, but watch this, but gives grace to the humble. It means God will empower the humble. It means God will give strength to the humble that when you and I begin to get away from this prideful mindset and adopt humility in our hearts, which is a key element of a Christ follower, the Lord says, I can work with that person. I can help that person. As a matter of fact, for me, when it comes to, to leadership and it comes to things like that, I work with a lot of pastors. I have staff. Um, you know, I work with people all the time. Can I tell you something, a little secret? And maybe some of the staff is a secret for them. The moment somebody begins to fight back every time I confront or correct, you know what I do? Well, it could be another pastor that I'm trying to coach. I love them. But I back off. Because I realize they don't want to be coached. They don't want to get any better. They want to stay right where they're at. That's why they're fighting me. That's why they never want, that's why they always get defensive. The people who come and say, man, thank you. I want to be helped. That's the people I pour into. That's the people that I say, you know what? I can do something with that because they're humble. Their teachability is the, let me tell you something. In America, this is, oh man, listen, there, are, there is inequality in America. There is. I mean, there is that. But can I tell you something? The way we think about fixing those things is not the way it'll be fixed. Do you know Why? 77% of people who get an inheritance, it's gone within three years. Money given to them, and it's gone. Let me say this to you. The number one way in your life to climb the ladder, the number one way to elevate in your life, the number one way to get opportunities is to be teachable and be humble. And can I tell you something? Anytime you see someone, amen, 80% of the millionaires in America are self-made, first generation. It wasn't given to them. They were teachable, and they were humble, and they wanted to learn, and they wanted to grow. And I'm begging and pleading with you as followers of Jesus, adopt teachability and humility. And can I tell you that God will give grace to you. God will empower you. God will open doors for you that you could never open. And if you want God to shut doors on you, if you want God to say, I can't trust you, if you want God to back off from you, just like I do people, whether they're a pastor or our staff, and say, I love you, but I ain't, I ain't going to that path. Be prideful. Be prideful. And you'll never grow past that. Teachability and humility. And here's what I want you to understand today. If we don't understand that growth comes from the right response to correction, then we will go down the path of destruction. That's where growth comes from. Growth comes from the right response to correction. When, somebody, when you're telling somebody something, you're so mad at somebody else, you're going, I just can't, and somebody says, hey, yeah, you're, you're way off. 
That's a terrible attitude to have. Matter of fact, you're wrong. And you should probably go apologize. It's those times in your life that you begin to grow the most. You know why? It reveals blind spots in your life. It reveals areas that you're just not seeing. And what we do when we begin to buy, and if we find people around us that always tell us what we want to hear, we become the emperor with no clothes on. And eventually, it leads us down the path of destruction in our life. And I don't want to see any of you go down that. However, people will choose that because they don't want to be corrected. They don't want to be told what to do. They don't want any wisdom. They don't want any advice. They want to do what they want to do. And maturity comes when you invite that into your life. Now, can I tell you, I'm not good with this. (laughs) I'm bad with this. I hate being corrected. I hate being told what to do. I was just having a conversation with a good friend outside. Like his thing was, I don't want somebody to tell me to have a good day. I'll have what type of day I want to have. <laughs> don't you tell me that. Like, I'm the same way. Like I'm just, you know, like my, my wife and I, it's kind of a little joke we have going on. But, you know, I'll, I'll tell her, say, hey, babe, um, if you don't mind, like, like we, we need to get this or that done. She'll say, hey, don't tell me what to do. But I hate it. I hate being, because I work so hard to like have things right. You know, I do so. And what I've realized is the reason I respond poorly to correction and to confrontation and constructive criticism is, number one, I don't feel like I'm good enough when people say that to me. So insecurity comes in, and I feel like, well, I just, my job's not, I'm not doing a good enough job, I need to quit. But secondly, there's pride in there that I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want anybody telling me where my weak spots and blind spots are. And what's changed my life over the last four years is when I invited, and you have to invite this, I invited a mentor into my life who, uh, again, he owns a real estate business, doing great. He owns a drug addiction recovery ministry center. He has 35 campuses of a church. And he came into my life. He said, if if I'm going to be in your life, then you got to let me be in your life. He said, if I'm going to be, if you're going to be on my team with me, then you got to let me coach you and correct you. Are you willing to do that? I was like, yes, sir. He said, good. He said, well, I want to tell you this. And every time we would talk, the first five conversations we had, he would always tell me something he really admired about me, something he liked, something he thought that was really good that I added to the team. But then he would always come in and say, and I need you to change this. This is immaturity. And I can see this in your life. And it hurt. But can I tell you what? He was right. And one of the things I do, and so I want you to know, if you follow me on social media, if I post something on social media about pastors, it has nothing to do with me. I am a voice for pastors who are scared to death to post on social media about their hurts and what they're going through. I'm not hurting. Guys, y'all, seriously, if you're watching online here today, y'all the greatest church in the history of churches, right? I love you. I'm enjoying ministry. But I'll post on behalf of those guys. If I post something, usually it's because I'm writing a sermon. I want to help, you know, I want to help people. I'm doing fitness stuff with my son. I want to, you know, model good. But here's why, why that changed for me. About five years ago, when this guy entered my life four or five years ago, I would post because I was hurt about something. And people that hurt me, and I would post. I'd just post random things, but I was venting. Facebook pity party. You ever done that before? And Josh told me, he said, um, hey man, he said, um, so what's going on at your church? Like, Nothing. We're good. Like, yeah, no. He's like, I can, I can read your hurt in that post. He says, if you're going to be a leader to people, you can't do that on social media. He says, you can do it, you just can't lead people and have influence in their life. So you've got to make a decision whether you want influence and leadership or if you want to go on social media and vent because you're hurting. 
He says, my suggestion to you is that you find somebody to vent and talk to and stop doing that. That's, that's a directly how he said it to me. And I said, you know what? You're exactly right. I've got to make changes in that area. Because I didn't want to go down the path of destruction. I want to continue to have influence in people's life. I want to help people. I want to grow people. I want my life to count as something. And friends, if we don't have the right response to correction, we will be led down the path of destruction. And so here's the key. If you have your notes handy, I know this is a strong message today for you, but I promise it's like grandma's medicine. If you drink it, it will make you better. It may taste bad. But when corrected, you have two choices. You can elevate or deteriorate. You can get bitter or get better. I say that all the time. When you're corrected and confronted, you can elevate or deteriorate. You can get bitter or you can get better. And the goal of my life is to get better when I am corrected by those who love me, those who care for me, those who um, want to help me in my life. People who don't care about me, can I just tell you this? Like if somebody sends an anonymous letter, which is, it, there's a special place, there's actually a special little filing cabinet we have those, it's called a trash can. If you can't put your name on something, don't come at me. Amen? Right? But can I tell you this? There is an ounce of truth in every pound of criticism, even though the person may not love you. Sometimes there is truth in there. And I always say, what, what truth is it in there that I can take? Because I want to get better. And what I want to do the remaining time that we have, talking about maturity, I want to show you the case study of two disciples, of Peter and of Judas. Two different disciples. One went down the path of destruction. The other one ended up having elevation in their life, ended up doing great things for the kingdom. But it was their the response to Jesus. It was their response to being corrected. It was their response to constructive criticism that determined how high they could actually go. And the first case study is Judas. And if you ever cut your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 12, verse 2. And in John 12, this is when they're all getting together and they're having the, a, a big dinner at Lazarus' house. They're always partying over there with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. You know, you remember uh, that where Martha was cooking and Mary was at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? I, it, you know, Jesus told Mary, hey, man, you, you've chosen the best thing. And a lot of people think that Martha was the worker, Mary was the worshiper. And I've heard this preached before, you need to be a worshiper, not a worker. Remember that? If you've been in church, you've heard that before probably. If not, you just heard that sermon. But can I tell you something? Martha was cooking dinner. I guarantee Jesus ate that dinner and liked it. We're always downing on Martha. This is just a side note, man. But man, Martha was in there cooking. I like people who cook, right? Mary did not contribute to the, the food that night. I'm just saying, that's just a sidebar. But John 12, 2, back to the, the sermon at hand. It says, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And as, as we know, this is very expensive. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold, and the money should have been given to the poor. Be careful with someone who always says the way money should be spent. Because Judas was smoke screening. He was, watch this. Verse 6 says this, not that he cared for the poor, he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. But look what Jesus says here. 
I mean, what Judas says up front looks noble, right? That's a year's worth of wages, Jesus. You know how many poor people we could have fed with that? I mean, is feeding poor people a good thing? Say yes. That's a good thing. So it seems noble. And so Judas shares his idea with the whole group in front of Jesus. Whole, whole group. Have you ever been in, in, a, in a meeting and you share your idea with the group and you think it's the best idea? Look what happens next. And Jesus said to him, you're right, Judas. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. He said, Judas, you are wrong. You are flat out wrong. And this is a wrong way to view money in this situation. And then what happens is, one of the other writers says, at that point, Satan entered Judas's heart. You know, I have a certain belief here that, that there's people who get offended because their ideas aren't taken. And when their ideas aren't taken, they let offense come in and bitterness, and that's when they begin to betray you. Because that's what happened with Judas, because his idea wasn't received. Jesus corrected him and said, no, actually, that's a bad idea. That's a bad way to look at it. And then look at what happens in Matthew chapter 26, verse 48. It says, the traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. See, Judas deteriorated by getting bitter because he was corrected. Inside, his heart began to be dismantled, the character of his life. He made bad decisions and lacked integrity because he was corrected by Jesus publicly in front of everybody, and he deteriorated. And I want to encourage you today, guys, because my heart view as a pastor is to see you live your best life. I know that sounds crazy. I want to see you live life and life to the, uh, uh, the abundance that Jesus has for you. I want to see your relationships flourish. I want to see you enjoy your life to overcome issues, to maximize the potential that God has put in you. That's my heart. But if you don't understand the role of correction and confrontation and corrective, uh, constructive criticism excuse me, in your life, then what's going to happen is you'll go to the path of Judas, and you'll deteriorate over time by getting bitter. And I've seen this over and over with people who start so strong even those who will come on staff, those who will, who will serve, and they're just, and then over time, bitterness deteriorates them from the inside out, and boom, they make really, really bad decisions in their life. And that's what Judas did, corrected. And his response of pride, of anger, of bitterness, and offense caused him to betray Jesus. But here's a second story. I want to close with this story. It's the, it's the story of Peter. Peter got confronted too. Remember we read earlier? I mean, Peter was like, no, you'll never die, Jesus, never. All you. And Jesus is like, man, you're acting like Satan. You're being influenced by demonic uh, powers right now. Your perspective is completely wrong. Peter at that point could have been someone to betray him, right? Peter didn't. And look at cha Acts chapter 2. And here, this is amazing what happens. Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 14 says this, because Peter elevated by getting better. Watch this. He said, Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles 
and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. Then he goes on to preach a very long sermon, but a very powerful sermon about repentance and that Jesus is Messiah. He was telling all of his Jewish brothers and sisters, hey, look, get, follow Jesus. He's the Messiah. Peter preaches a sermon and 3,000 get saved in one day on Pentecost, and the church is birthed. And look at verse 41. It says this, after the big sermon, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Peter elevated by getting better. Judas deteriorated by getting bitter. They both were confronted and corrected by Jesus. It's the response to correction that led one to elevation and one to destruction. And friends, I want to tell you today that our response to that will dictate whether we will elevate and mature as a follower of Jesus and grow. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, Maybe somebody just drug you to church today. Your response to correction, confrontation, and constructive criticism will dictate your quality of life as well. I mean, could you imagine if Judas would have responded correctly to Jesus, what would have happened? I wonder what his story in the book of Acts would have been. I wonder what role he would have played in the greatest movement in history. I wonder. That's all I could ever do is speculate and wonder because he went and hung himself. He killed himself. And they had to choose somebody else to take his place. Maturity is how we respond to someone who loves us, cares for us, corrects us, and confronts us. And if you're a young person here today, can I tell you the people who play that role in your life, they aren't against you, they're for you. Nobody said amen, but I'll say it one more time because I think you guys are sleeping on that one. The younger you are, the more true this is for you. The people who play that role in your life aren't against you. They don't hate you. They don't think you're not good enough. They love you. And they want the absolute, amen, best for you. And I have to reiterate that to my son all the time at seven. Son, I don't tell you this because I don't like you or I don't love you. Or I don't think you're good enough. I tell you this because you got such great potential, boy. Like, did you understand? Like, God wants to do great things in your life. And he looks at me with those big brown eyes, and you just see him soaking it in. I said, Well, I correct you, buddy, because I love you, not because I'm against you. I don't know where you're at today, but I really felt this week praying and going through this message. I feel like prophetically, like this is for someone. I just feel like like God wants to intervene in somebody's life. That there's a bridge out ahead. And God is trying to keep you from the path of destruction. I don't know who this is for, whether you're watching online or here today, but the Lord loves you. He is for you, and He has sent messengers in your life. You may not like the message, but He wants the best for you to help you to get to your fullest place of potential. And that will only come when you say, Lord, create in me a heart of humility, not a pride of arrogance and defensiveness. So I want to pray for us that today before, as we close out. Let's pray together as a community of believers. Father, we ask, help us, Lord God, with humility. Help us to respond correctly when we are corrected. Father, some of us have bridge out ahead, and we don't even know it. We're fighting the very people trying to get us to stop going on that path.
please, Lord, help us to develop a heart of humility so we can grow, so we can see results like Peter saw, Lord, in our lives, so we can elevate and you can use us in ways we never believed possible. I pray for that today. Give us the courage to be humble. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts in the areas we're resisting you for resisting people who love us that you have sent to us, Lord. Help us to mature and grow in you, Lord. And maybe today you've been resisting giving your life to Jesus fully. Maybe you've been hurt by church or hurt by people and you've walked away from your faith. Maybe you've never taken this step. You flirted with Christianity, you flirted with church, but you've never been all in. Today is your day. I don't care if you're in here with us or watching online, it's your day to give your life to Christ. Right where you're at, I want you to pray this prayer. Make this confession of faith after me. You say, God, forgive me of my sins. I turn from my old life. I repent. I leave it all behind. Today, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose again on the third day. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord. I choose to follow Him. Now, Lord, create in me a heart of humility. And help me to grow in you. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.